Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. So we're going to read 10 verses right now. Follow up if you can in the back or open your Bibles in your phones, your uh, paper version Bible. Uh, open there, put your bookmark. Let's meditate in these verses uh, right now. V chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1. And you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them God bless you guys you guys can go home <laughs> it, just the reading of this this passage I don't know about you but it feeds my soul and gives me so much encouragement to know that in Christ I am saved. Oh, through the faith that he himself gave me as a gift, I could believe and receive this unmerited favor. And now I'm here, standing before you guys, knowing that all is from him and to him. All things. He deserves it all. Amen. I call this message what the text makes clear. It is all by grace through faith. Now, Paul uses what every teacher likes to use, a blackboard. He uses this dark, gloomy canvas behind uh, before giving us good news. He opens this block saying, you were dead. Not semi-dead, not 90% dead. You were totally dead in the trespasses and sins. We were walking. We were totally lost. So sometimes the way to understand something better is if you have that contrast 
evident before your eyes. And that's what Apostle Paul is trying to do. He's blink, painting uh, over this uh, uh, gloomy canvas so we can see very clear the light of the gospel. It was inevitable for me to compare these opening verses with Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1 that says that in the beginning God created heavens and the earth. But the earth was without form and void. We were without form and void. And darkness was also over us as it was over the face of the deep. However, the Spirit of God was hovering upon us, hovering over us. He was watering our heart and preparing the soil of our hearts to receive the salvific, powerful Word of God until one day somebody invited you to your life group. Somebody dared to call you to the encounter. And you had at your for the first time, your eyes open to the light of the gospel. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light in your darkness. Life inside your, your death. Restoration. Oh, Jesus. There came life inside of what was totally destroyed. And God saw that the light was good. But the text didn't end there. The Bible says that God separated the light from darkness. We are meant to walk in this light here. It's important to know that unbelievers, unborn, ungenerated people cannot see the light of God unless God himself opened their eyes. Unbelievers does not need education or, like I said, self-help books just to enhance their quality of life. Actually, there is no life to be improved. We were all dead. So there is nothing that the world could offer us that will actually enhance our quality, our life. We were alienated from God's presence. If you give an unbeliever education, placing that person in the most renowned, renowned schools of America, the result will be only an educated sinner. If you sign up that person to a financial discipline that actually turned that person into a very successful financial person, you only have a rich sinner. Or maybe if you subscribe that person to endless psychotherapy sessions, we're only going to have well-adjusted sinners. But when a person meets Christ, we have a forgiven sinner. We are all part of that group. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Trespasses speaks about that violation of a law. Violation of a boundary. 
you willingly cross the line. Sin, the word in Greek is hormatia, which is 173 times used in the New Testament, means to miss the mark. You were running a race, and you had even ability in your mind to conclude the race. However, you took a prohibited shortcut, an unlawful path. You got to the end, but because you miss the mark, you are a sinner. We are not sinners just because we committed sin or because we cross the trespass line. We are sinners because we are connected to the forefather Adam. And because he failed and he was the head of a kind, the head of a race, which you all came from, we are sinners from birth. That's why, like we preached yesterday in the encounter, you don't need to teach a child to be stubborn. You don't need to teach a baby to say the words no or to make a, a scene. But how hard it is to tame that wild little animal just to say thank you every time he or she receives something. Oh, how hard it is to make that person to say sorry when they make a mistake. Because we all came from total depravity. Which introduces me to some of this doctrine content we're going to find in Ephesians. Now, I need to say this very clear. Um, Christianity have many nuances that are okay among the evangelicals, reformed believers. There are people that uh, do not like as loud music as we like. Others believe that the best way for a pastor to dress is with suit and tie. Not as casual as your modern good-looking pastor is right now. But uh, these, these are only preferences that we don't need to die for. There are uh, churches that prefer some emphasis than others. However, they are unnegotiable. Doctrines that are worth it to die for. And what are they? are the doctrines that are life-giving truths. Those life-giving truths that can change eternity of a person, those truths we should never negotiate. They are foundational. They are the core of our belief. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death is spread to all men because all sinned. To complete the thought, verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Sin came. Sin spread and sin 
reigned. This is the theology term for all this uh, uh, total power of sin over mankind is called total depravity. Man will never be able to save himself. It is not a state we can judge people around just based on their apparent immoral or wicked behavior. Because even though a mango tree may not have one single mango in its early stage, eventually one mango will pop up in due season. But that mango tree is still a mango tree even though there is no apparent manifestation of that fruit. Even though sometimes you find kind, educated, to not use the word tame people, this does not make them less sinners. We all need the grace of God. That's why Romans chapter 3 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged it all, both Jew and Greeks, religious people, or pagan, barbarian, immoral people. We all are under sin. It is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, for all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul keeps painting this dark canvas saying, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin, misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know that eventually... Without Christ, one of those realities that Paul just described here in Romans will come to the surface. So, I was wondering, we were leaving that kumbaya moment in the world. Did you guys notice this after the COVID-19? We're all loving each other. A beautiful unity in the world. World peace. Hmm. We know that everything from the world is temporary. And now we are living at the verge of World War III. Isn't that crazy? It's because this is the reality of the world. Without God. Without Christ. We should never put hope in the inerrant goodness of men. Because there is none there. Without Christ, there is no good in us. No good in mankind. Sprout says, and an ungenerated person will never come to Jesus. Simply because he or she does not want Jesus. In his mind and heart, they are fundamentally at enmity with the things of God. As long as someone is hostile to Christ, he has no affection for the truth. Just look the case of Satan, he keeps saying. Satan knows the truth, but he hates the truth. And we were like that by nature. 
We were dead in our sin and trespasses. We walked according to the powers of this world and indulged in the lusts of the flesh until the Holy Spirit changed us. Until God gave us His light, took the heart that was made of stone and gave us a flesh heart. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. How can we expect an unbeliever, ungenerated person to understand a loving letter from a father to his children when they are not part of the family? Every family has its own language inside. We have our own words that only the members of that family understand. It's not different between us and our Heavenly Father. He wrote us this letter of love. And only us, born again, spirit-filled, can actually understand. We were like everyone out there, looking for the next Vanity of vanities. We were just chasing after the wind. Look what it says, verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were more than wandering around like we sing. We were meandering, moving without purpose. We were without a destination. In search of something to live for. We were looking purpose. But we were like an adrift boat. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 16 paints in a very clear way what that means. He says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And apply my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. That's the condition of people out there. Looking for purpose. Looking for meaning. Ecclesiastes 2.11 Then I consider all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was Vanity. The word in Hebrew was Havel, which means emptiness. I was holding emptiness. When I thought I grasped something, it was like vapor through my fingers. And I striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Without Christ... It is only wax in appearance. There is no reality. 
is only vapor through the fingers. That's why Paul actually uses this nickname for the devil. He is the prince of the power of the air. It's just like air that you think you have, but you don't have it. And you don't have the new birth. The final purpose of life is just to go after the next fed or whatever is in vogue. Browsing around. Looking for meaning. Value in things that maybe you could acquire with your money. But your heart is still empty. If you were like a dead fish. You always float downstream. Only the living can go upstream. Only the living can fulfill the purpose. The Bible says that by nature, we were children of wrath. We know the fable, the fable of the turtle and the scorpion. The scorpion asked for a ride to cross the river to the turtle. And the turtle said, I will never do that. You're going to sting me. And I'm going to die. And the scorpion said, uh, Mrs. Turtle, uh, if I do that, we both are going to die. So she just, you know, reasoned a little bit. She says, it makes sense. So hop up. Let's go. And they were crossing the river until the scorpion couldn't hold himself and sting the turtle. As both are drowning to death, the turtle has a little less breath to ask, why did you do that? And the scorpion, like everybody out there, said... It is in my nature. It is in my nature to kill, to gossip, to slander sinners. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. However, there is good news for us. Because verse 4 says, but God. Would you wake up this brother and say, but God. Tell him it's time for good news, my brother. Tell him it's time for good news. Thank God because of these two little words, but God. Until verse 3, we have the BC time, before Christ time in our lives. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace by grace, you have been saved. Say amen, everybody. Come on. Now, finally, we have these, these first beams of light being painted with strong strokes in this black canvas. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one, we scarcely die for the righteous person. Though perhaps we're a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, enemies of God. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Yes. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Gives us these two sweet beautiful words. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Mercy 
is to not receive what you deserve. If you are speeding over the speed limit and the officer gives you a warning instead of a fine, my friend, you receive mercy. Come on, somebody. Because you did not receive what you deserve. But grace goes beyond. Grace actually gives us what we do not deserve. If the officer actually sign you a ticket that is unpayable, you don't have funds to pay, but the very officer goes there in the DMV and pay for you, you know you are receiving what you do not deserve. And that is grace. And I know it's very shallow illustration. But God, while we were still sinners, we deserve hell, death, destruction, divorce, brokenness. We deserve depression, madness, insanity. We deserve all that is bad. Verse 4, but God being rich, rich in mercy. Oh, he has enough mercy for you, my friend. He has mercy for me today. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when I was unable to do anything, his grace was accredited to my account. And I'm telling you, my friend, this truth I just said, that is worth it to die for. That's what I want to give my life to announce, to sing, to somehow create platforms where this message will be proclaimed. Now, someone is going to wonder, but uh, uh, pastor, this is not right. Because if God simply forgives with his mercy, or even saved with his grace, God is not being just, righteous. And you are correct in this reasoning. Because if God is just and righteous, he must punish sin. And you know that in the cross... Mercy and justice hugged each other. In the cross, we have grace with a channel to reach out to us. That's why every time we read the word mercy and grace, we should remember about the justice satisfied. The wrath of God over Christ Jesus to not come upon us. When we hear mercy and grace, it is not grounded in sentiment or some sort of preference. It is ground in sacrifice. Ephesians 2, 6. He raised us with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. Two verses. So many in Christ expressions. 169 times in Paul's letter. Just in Ephesians about 33 times. We're going to have this expression coming back. Over and over again. We were in the valley of darkness. Unable to see a thing. Hurting each other. Demanding 
things from people that we could not even give to ourselves. But God, in His mercy and grace, transfer us to the mountain of His Son, Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 3, we were transferred to the place to be blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In that place, we have the power to overcome. We have the privileged position of victory. We see it all now. Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above every rule, authority, power, and dominion. Even the prince of the power of the air is under our feet, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So it is not too much to dare to aim to be a church of overcomers. This is not a slogan. This is not just a catchy phrase. We are a church of overcomers. Romans chapter 8 says, In all things we are more than conquerors. The best definition is over conquerors. Overcomers through Him, through Him who loved us. Now, I don't want to only this be a position in doctrine. I want you to enjoy this rightful, privileged position and put this power, authority, anointing, blessings into your experience. For that we need the faith to turn into substance what we have in doctrine. And the Bible says that God is going to brag on us. In the ages to come. In other words, God was going to take all eternity to demonstrate all the fullness of His love toward us. What we're experiencing so far is just a drop in the ocean of what grace is all about. And there are people that says, Pastor, you guys insist so much in grace. It's because there is no other message. There is no other gospel. It is all about His love for us. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages, He might show, He might brag. God will boast in the immeasurable size, riches of His grace in kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. The angels, the demons, they wonder how God so loved this weird creature called mankind. Why God turned himself into the very creation he made in order to save these rebellious species that wander around the world. Why God even going to make them queens and kings and rulers of all creation? Why? Psalm 16 verse 11. You make me known to me the path of life. In, a, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
I don't want this doctrine be just a thought, a theological concept. I want to enjoy these pleasures that sin, drugs, immoral sex, whatever is the lust of the flesh, never gave me, ever satisfied me. There is fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore in God's presence. And I am already in His right hand, seated with Christ in these heavenly places. I want that experience every day of my life. When a couple married in the wedding day, they are declaring this covenantal commitment, almost like repeating itself, but to say that they will love each other for the rest of their lives. A healthy marriage is this endless unfolding of love expression and mutual desire to give themselves to meet his or her needs. And that's why God chose that symbol of a wedding, of a marriage, because he will for eternity unfold, reveal layers of this love upon us. And again, I'm telling you, this is foundational doctrine. This message I just shared with you guys are essential for everything else we do in this church. It doesn't matter if your preferences is about music, is about your political party. We will not negotiate this message. This is why we gather together. This is the bedrock of everything else we do in this church. Verse 8. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know why heaven will be so enjoyable and so amazing? It's because nobody in heaven will brag about anything. We are all sinners. We are all lost. And without God's mercy and grace, we will never achieve. Heaven is going to be such an amazing place because there will have no boasting. Let me be honest with you guys. Church should be a glimpse. Should be a foretaste of heaven. No one is here because of your own. We only made it. Because he drawn us close to him. We did not achieve. We all had received. Come on somebody. Actually Paul. In one of his moments of honesty. Trying to show that he could brag about his pedigree. He says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. Whatever gain I had. I counted as lost. For the sake of Christ. Indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss for of all things. And count them as rubbish, manure. In order that I may gain Christ. 
I, wanna, I only want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let us always stand up right now. This week, I had a... I don't know if this happens with you. It probably happens. You are... You are listening to something online, maybe you're watching that YouTube video, and there is this weird, random videos suggestions. And there was this weird person, I will say creature, because he was something else, almost like a Pokemon or something, like it wasn't human. The guy had all the, the rainbow colors in his hair. His tooth was all taken by, you know, metal tooth or like totally strange. Okay, it could be just a style. I couldn't resist myself, so I clicked in the video and he was a rapper. Cussing from beginning to the end. And bragging about his guns and his sexual immorality all over the song. And then I noticed it was... More than 5 million views in his video. And I started to research about this guy. And I said, he, he got so many like music awards for that kind of, I don't know what that is. So strange. Immediately my heart, very, very subtle, very creeping start to have that little tiny boasting come inside I will never be so bad like this weird dude and then I realized why the Holy Spirit arranged sovereignly that video to be in my YouTube list it wasn't the algorithm of Google it was the Holy Spirit portraying a mirror before me to remind me without Jesus, where I will be. Without Christ, where you will be. What you will be. 